Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, I've got Ricky Glor on the show today. Ricky is a veteran comedian, actor, and playwright who has a great dry bar special, and his album, World's Greatest Dad Participant, is available on all the streaming services. His movie, All Your Friends Are Dead, is coming soon to SRS Cinema. We had a great talk about his dry bar special. Maybe too much talk about horror movies, but if you like horror movies, we talked about Phantasm. And one of my favorite sessions of Is This Anything? Speaking of Is This Anything, I've gotten some great feedback on the joke workshopping. If you send me your tags to scott at the btbpc.com or hit me up on the socials, I'll read your tags at the beginning of the next episode. That will make you podcast famous, and I know you want that. While I have your attention, I'd love to get behind the bits out to all the folks that would like to learn about the nuts and bolts of stand-up comedy. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite app, please hit the subscribe button. You can also leave a review on your favorite podcast app. And most importantly, a like, share, and comment on my social media posts does so much to push behind the bits up the algorithm. Oh, hey, and don't forget to tell your friends too. I really appreciate you listening and I hope you feel behind the bits is good enough to share. And now let's get into the Ricky Glore conversation. It's a good one. Oh, how are you? Good. I was just sharing the link on all my um, my social media. So if there's anybody that is hopping around and sees this, maybe they can hop on uh, the little live stream here. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I uh, yeah. i I discovered you through the dry bar, um, which is a few years old now, um, and and really enjoyed it. And it's just so funny how. Dry bar has just become this monolith of uh, comedy content, and that they are um, that this whole you know clean comedy thing has taken such a surge, and it's starting. To, I think it's. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's starting to show up in the clubs now too. Uh, you know the the there's a new focus on the more more clean comedy yeah there's uh it's it's weird we, i just had this conversation with a couple friends of mine last night who are also creatives but um the idea of if you ever hear anyone say oh you can't be funny anymore you can't joke about that anymore blah 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 there's no comedian worth his salt that is saying that because even risque comedians, they're not saying that. Like, you don't hear a Dave Chappelle or a Bill Burr being like, oh, you can't be funny anymore. You can't say things anymore. They're just doing it. Yeah. And people are offended, whatever. But where that's working in favor for the kind of clean comics for clubs or, or venues or breweries, vineyards, wineries that have turned into like the modern day coffee houses, 
um, happy to put up whatever kind of entertainment, they will ask, well, can you work clean? And if you can say, yeah, that at least gets you in the door of a conversation to then if they're like, you can be like, all right, how clean do you want? And then you say, if you, again, are a comedian that has worked enough, you kind of have the parameters of knowing where you can fit in. You go, what do you want? Squeaky clean, PG clean. Do you want PG 13 clean? Do you want late night talk show clean? Right. Or do you want a little bit more risque late night talk show clean to somewhat R? And then the people that thought they wanted clean that didn't know that there was variations of that will then think about what their audience likes and they'll go, oh, you know what? They like clean, but they like it a little naughty. Like, and then they like, <laughs> bite, they're like, mm. do the Chris Farley thing. Yeah. But then, then a lot of places will be like, either like, you know, if it's a church or something, or if it's a club that is like, we're really pushing this as, 18 and up um, or all ages or whatever, mm. then they'll say squeaky clean. But otherwise, uh, most places that think they want clean, turns out they really want just late night talk show clean. Yeah. Which that the the width of what kind of material and things you can talk about on late night talk show TV now is, is a pretty wide spectrum. Right. And I've never felt the restraints of doing a show. And if, you're asked, can you work clean? And you can say, yes, you're going to find yourself working way more. Right. Right. And I think sometimes the definition, you talk about these definitions of clean, but sometimes they just, they just don't want you to be like social media sometimes, <laughs> you know, they, because everybody says everything on social media and, and a lot of it is just, you know, trash and, yeah. uh, and a lot of comedians, a lot of, especially newer comedians, they pick up on that and they think that's what they're supposed to say on stage. And it's, I mean, it's, it's this breath of like negativity where, I mean, yeah, social media is a great way to connect everyone, but it also is, um, you either, your opinions have to be, I'm a hundred percent for it, which then a hundred percent invites negativity of being against it. There's no social gray area. I mean, and I guess that, that is kind of what entertainment is. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but you, you get, and this isn't a new thing. This has been since even when I started doing stand up in 2005 and hearing people talk about stand ups in the nineties or the eighties boom is you'll have for me, two types of comedians, comedians who their main goal is to get up on stage and entertain and you usually can't put them in a box of like, well, they're a dry comedian or they're a one liner or whatever. Those comedians usually can have a wide spectrum of kind of the entertainer. They are more of a vaudevillian old school kind of just entertainer. Their goal is to entertain whoever comes, whoever mm -hmm. the audience is to not get upset with them. Um, not to berate them. They want to make the room laugh. And by the end of the night, they want everyone to have a good time. That doesn't mean placate. Right. But there's that, there's that entertainer, and then there's the comedian that goes up on stage, and their primary goal is to show you how smart they are and how funny they are. And I think an audience can smell that a mile away, yeah. and those tend to be the more cynical ones who end up berating an audience when they don't get a response they think they deserve. Right, right. Yeah, with social media, that's where I, where you were just saying the negative kind of comedian who is just 
it's hard. It's hard to parse it because the hardest thing for a comedian is finding your voice. And mm-hmm. that only takes time and diligence of performing. Your voice could be cynical, ranty McRanterson. Yeah. And, but starting off that way, I don't know. It, it seems to have a very short shelf life. Yeah. And you, I, I, I've always said you almost have to earn it. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, got to talk to somebody who knew Lewis black in the early days. And he was pretty much in the early days, like he is now, but it didn't work because he hadn't earned it yet. Uh, you know, he, he knew his voice and, and he knew what he wanted to do. But the thing is, is the audiences just didn't get him yet. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you there, and he, part of, coming up with your voice and figuring out your character. And then, you know, there are some standups like, well, that's not honest. You should be an honest self and blah, blah, blah. Um, he did it because he had a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. So he talked fast and he worked it into to ranting because yeah. like Mel Tillis, a country singer has a terrible speech impediment. You would never know it by hearing him sing. Right. Yeah. But that's, there's something lyrical to the way that you, you control your voice that overcomes that speech impediment. And then a lot of that has to do with confidence. Again, this past weekend, and I know we're going to do a bit, talk about um, bits we're working on, uh-huh. but an audience can smell from a mile away the confidence in your voice when you're working a new bit. And just like, even if you think you're like, I'm selling it so well. You have to remember that it is new, so don't kill your babies if it doesn't work the first time. Right, yeah. <laughs> know that the audience, for some even subconscious reason that they might not even know, they might not laugh at it that hard because they can tell the distinction between the stuff you're really smooth at doing and mm. you've made it feel seamless versus this thing that you're not 100% confident with yet. Yeah. Do you have any kind of criteria when you do that new stuff? Because, and I've I've done it long enough that I, I know it's not going to land the way I want it the first time. And it's going to, if personally, I feel like if it steadily gets better to the point where I think it's good enough that I can roll with it, then I'll keep it in for a while. Mm-hmm. But do you have any kind of criteria? Okay. You know, I, I did this bit, I put it in the middle of uh, two great bits and it just died. Um, I'm going to try, try it again. And I get a little bit more. Do you, do you have a point to where you say, okay, I need to put this back for a while and come back to it. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. And that to me is almost two separate questions. Uh, one of which the first part I can say the little bit of advice and the advice that I got from, um, seasoned comedians earlier on, which has been helped me now in this age of, um, filming everything and having crowd work to put online for self-promotion and stuff. So many comedians are, worried about filming every set because, Oh, what if something happens that I can put online to go viral? That's good. And that's a big part of like the self-marketing and branding yourself. But if you're working on stuff, I think you should be less worried about filming and more worried about recording the audio and playing it back because hearing it, that is how it hits an audience's ear first. Mm -hmm. Doing the the mechanics of whatever physical attribute that you want to do or act out, or dramatics 
comes later after you get the cadence down, after you, you make sure that you're articulating it well enough um, and you're getting your point across, you're getting, you're hitting the joke, right. That they he can understand what you're saying, the cadence, the pace, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I think audio recording and that will help you figure out, okay, is this placed in the right area? Is this chunked with other things that are like it or relatable to it? So it's not a logic leap or it's not a big mental leap, like taking a commercial break in the audience's mind to then go to this new ad, this new thing. Um, I've definitely, I worked on this one bit for a really long time that just never worked. And I'd talk about it with other comics and they'd be like, oh, that's funny. And I kept on working it in different ways, presenting it different ways, different part of my set. And it was about um, caveman serial killers. That the first um, serial killers were cavemen. But if you had like a law and order of it or whatever, every episode would be the same. It is, what's the weapon? It's a rock. (laughs) Like, and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And like the questioning of the, if it was law and order and you're going to questioning the different people, the people that get you from point A to point B to get more evidence, it was always the same. It was, but anyway, it, this bit that like I tried so much and like I'd come home and I'd tell my wife and I'd be like, caveman serial killer didn't work again tonight. And I tried <laughs> doing this and this. And she's like, honey, I know you think it's funny. And maybe some of your other comedy friends think it's funny audiences don't think it's funny yeah you gotta you gotta let it go and i'm like all right it's hard though i've i've had a few that i just absolutely love that it, it, it's just not gonna work one of them is uh dissing led zeppelin and you, you just can't diss led zeppelin it just doesn't work they, it, they they don't even boo you most of the time they just go totally silent and <laughs> and it's crazy because i think led zeppelin uh, maybe I'm not speaking correctly in this, never had a top five hit or even a top three hit. I don't think they have a number one. I don't song. think so. Yeah. 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 I think they're maybe juggernaut of a band. Yeah. I think stairway to heaven was probably their biggest charter and it may have hit top 10, but yeah. And, and my joke is, is really like, you know, I talk about boomers cause I am one and how we hang on to Led Zeppelin. And I'm like, well, Led Zeppelin's a fine band. I've just listened mm-hmm. to enough Led Zeppelin. I don't need any more. <laughs> and, and it, it just like, it's just like, bam, it sucks mm-hmm. all the energy out of the audience <laughs> because kids, you know, you know, 18 year olds love Led Zeppelin now. And well, there's a, there's a funny, um, TikTok video where a guy's going around and approaching people at like a theme park that are wearing band t-shirts that are sold at like Walmart and stuff and whatnot. And like this woman's wearing a kiss t-shirt and he's like, I'll give you $5 if you name three kiss songs. Goes up (laughs) another person wearing Led Zeppelin's like, I'll give you $5 if you name two Led Zeppelin songs. And like no one can name the songs until he gets to this guy, which like, stereotypical Ozzy Osbourne looking fan wearing a black Sabbath shirt. And he's yeah. like, give you $5 if you name three Ozzy Osbournes or black Sabbath songs. And he, he does immediately. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. My, uh, I caught my daughter with a, a Blondie t-shirt on uh, a few years ago and she was able to name the songs cause she actually likes music. So that, that was helpful. <laughs> one, one of the bits that I love of yours that, that came up, 
this is funny. This is just a personal story that came up uh, when we were FaceTiming my grandson. He's four. Uh, so it was a whole dad bod thing. And, and he was, um, he was saying, he said something like, uh, you know, why does, why does daddy have daddy and grandpa have big stomachs and, uh, no butt because he's like, he, he's, he's totally obsessed with butts right now. And my daughter said, well, that's a dad bod. That's that. That's what you get when when you're a dad. And I had just listened to your dry bar at, at, right nice. before that, and and uh, so we're talking about dad bods. And there was like a pause, and then he just started crying, and he's he said, "I don't want a dad bod." <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, oh man, this is perfect. I, I have to work this in as a bit myself because the, the kid does not want a dad. <laughs> and you're just like abstinence. Learn it now. Yeah. <laughs> no. And that's like part of my bit was, um, was, you know, that I had, and I was much heavier for a lot of years. Uh, I, it's a new bit now that's on the new album. I extrapolated more from that idea is just like, it's nice that men get a cute nickname for how their bodies look after they have a kid. They've done nothing to make that child. (laughs) They didn't carry around a, they didn't carry around a human being and them stretching out their bodies for nine months to look the way they do. Uh No, I carried around a one pound bag of Cheetos for 20 years. (laughs) Like, yeah, just that whole idea of like, why, like, why do we get a cute nickname for that to excuse our softness? But it's because there's no woman in the world that would want a nickname describing how their bodies look after they pushed a child outside. Right. Of yeah. <laughs> the mom bod. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> mom shape or wife weight. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, bits on the new album of. Uh, world's greatest dad is the whole size of shirts thing oh thank you what so you know just just to go into it you talk about size of shirts and how it makes you feel bad bad about yourself um what did it take to get that bit from start to finish that seems like one that's got some time on it that you've been working it for quite a while what did it take to get from when you came up with the idea to what you put on the album What's crazy with that one is that is still one that doesn't consistently work. Um, That one sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And I can take the blame a bit of myself. And it is one that I've worked for a long time. Um, I was working on that when I did my first album and it never worked the way I wanted it to. So I I sidelined it. Um, There was a couple extra things around it that, I have felt supported a little bit more of like going into um, clothing sizes for my, my daughter, my toddler, and then just being like babies and how, how great it is that little kids, babies and toddlers have their own sizing system up into a certain age, five T. And after that, they have to join the real world of sizes (laughs) and like being someone who did, who has lost weight, 140 pounds in the last year like i can shop in stores now yeah like target would have 
only up to two X's and I was wearing a three X or a four X sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, because I think we, different people push back on this, but I think we are a sizist culture where we don't want people of a certain size shopping inside target, which target is known for being a more affluent, better looking Walmart. Yeah. So they yeah, want their sure. milfs. They want their college kids. They want, you know, so they didn't want someone who looked at me when I was wearing four X's cause they sell those clothes online. They just never kept them stocked in their store. Right. So I just thought of like, Oh, well like the names of shirts even make me feel like we're shaming people. And there's a, there's an extra joke that I actually just thought of this past weekend. And it's not even a joke yet. It's more of an observation and just a play on words that I don't know if there is a joke there, but is, um, for the album, it's uh, who came up with the names of shirt sizes. Like the first ones, and you ask the audience, small. And then someone says extra small. And it's like extra small. And yeah. like it's small because small rhymes with all. Like that's cute. Yeah. Middle, medium, medium, middle of the road, average, nothing exciting there. And then the last one is large. Like large. Like no one feels good wearing a large. Yeah. It's, you're just saying that you're large. And that I'm like, and the person who came up with the names, how lazy did they get that after that? They're like, I can't think of any more names. Like, if you get any bigger than a large, we're just going to throw some X's and numbers in front of it. <laughs> the, the supplemental stuff that I thought of this weekend was, because I keep on asking the audience what the names of the sizes are and progressively go, and women say extra small. And I'm like, it's so interesting. No man ever from the audience says extra small right. it's women because that is a badge of honor of like wearing extra small mm-hmm. and made me think of the wordplay of to me it's interesting that there is extra small that means smaller than small there is more small yeah <laughs> there is less shirt but it's extra small but when you get to the other end of the spectrum it's extra large which means more shirt. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what the joke is there, but I think it's interesting that there is extras on both end of the spectrum, but they both mean something that is the complete opposite. Yeah. 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 Th- there is something there. Yeah. I don't know what it is yet, but I just thought of it this weekend that yeah. wordplay. And I'm like, I don't know what the joke is, but there's something interesting that when it's small and it's extra, and see, this is the nerdy com- comic thing. Like, I'll probably present this the next time we do. A, I do a road trip with like two opening comedians. Uh-huh. I'll throw this out in the car and be like, "Hey, I'm working on this thing," blah blah blah, and we'll maybe talk about it. And then 30 minutes later, someone will say, "Well, what if it's this?" And then we'll be like, "Eh, nah, nah." Yeah. Or yeah. if we do come up with something, it'd be like, "Okay, tonight I'm gonna slide that in the bit here and see if it works, and then let's see if we ruminate on anything else." Uh-huh. Yeah, that's it's it's good to be able to do that, and and I do think you have something because, especially if you go on the material, because extra small is less material, yet extra large is more material, and it costs three times more. You know, (laughs) which has always been the case because I had to go to big and tall places for so long, and now now big and tall places don't cater to me because. I'm a large tall and they all started extra large tall. And so it's all, all too big on me. And I've, I've tried jokes around that before. And if you're not, if you're not in it, if you don't, if you're not 
my height and have to go there, you just don't understand it. So it, it's well, and all my height, all my heights in my torso. Yeah. So like I have a hard time with button down shirts being long enough too. I have yeah. short legs. I have 29 inch legs. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm five, 10 and a half. So oh, all yeah. my height is in my yeah. torso. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're you're built exactly like my son-in-law because he's all torso too, and he's he's I think he's five ten and a half, five eleven, something like that. That's funny. So one of the things, and this isn't really comedy related, but um, it I can tell that you are a horror geek because I did a little bit of uh, internet stalking, and one of your favorite movies is Phantasm. And all the posters, yeah. around me, yeah, Psycho Two, yeah. Dream two, Nightmare on Elm Street, Phantasm two, yeah, and I I'm a huge Phantasm fan, and I um I like the fact that you're doing th this movie's coming out, and mm -hmm. I w I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I watched a trailer and it looks pretty intriguing, um, and I know you've got a joke about it, talk talking about how the uh, the killer's never the fat guy, and 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 uh. So what's the movie about? Because I'm intrigued by it. The movie's uh, All Your Friends Are Dead, hyper, uh, super indie, low budget. We made it for $5,959. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, I wrote, directed, starred in, produced, costumed, did everything. When you're making a movie for that little, you have to do everything. And so that's one of the only reasons that I'm in it, because we needed a dedicated actor that when me and the co-director and the cinematographer, Nicholas Hyance, when we were constructing the story, we were like, okay, whoever our lead is, we have to have it be someone and we have to have the story be something that we could do stuff that is just them in the camera. Mm -hmm. and like, well, that's me. And so the story we came up with was semi-autobiographical. Um, I had hurt my knee playing football in high school. I was a, a state wrestler, baseball player, and did football also dabbled in theater and chorus and stuff, uh -huh. but definitely was on the sports track. And uh, I was in a wheelchair for six months and had to have three knee surgeries. But then immediately when I could, I auditioned for West Side Story, the spring musical. Um, did that and then did theater all of my senior year and then went to college for theater and for writing and for playwriting. Um, and then improv and sketch comedy trying to live the SNL dream mm -hmm. eventually moved to Chicago. But so my injury could have easily put me in a very, I mean, I had a very good support system, but I could have fallen into a bout of depression and drinking and painkillers, which I definitely did drink the most that I've ever drank was during that time of recuperation. Mm. But I did have, um, not to a detrimental point. Um, but we were looking at that and we were like, okay, what if I was that and I went the other way that I got, that I was, I was king of the mountain or why I like to, am I, am I allowed to loosely curse on this? Yeah. Or stay yeah. Clean? Oh yeah. Okay. King shit of turd mountain. Uh huh. <laughs> In this like Northern Kentucky, like uh, a star football player who has his tight knit group of friends, like the breakfast club um, and gets hurt and then disconnects from those. Well, 
So I said, I was like, if I hadn't gotten hurt in high school, I'd have gone probably to Cumberland College in Kentucky to, to wrestle. Mm-hmm. And then I probably would have gotten hurt in college. Um, and like, what would I have done with my life? Like, what would I yeah. have done with getting hurt with a wrestling degree? Yeah. Like, maybe I would have pivoted then, but that would have been later and would have been probably harder to deal with. So what if that had happened and I had gone into depression and drugs and alcohol and disconnected myself from all my friends? And then years later, what if it then became, what if it went from the breakfast club becomes the big chill and goes camping in a Friday the 13th movie? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what the movie's about. Um, it deals a lot with mental health. It deals a lot with, what happens when the teenage slasher movie grows up? Uh-huh. So instead of high school kids or even college kids out camping, what if it's middle-aged people who have the struggle instead of the struggles being like, Oh, I wonder if I'm going to get laid this weekend or, Oh, I wonder if that guy or girl likes me. Yeah. I hope I don't get killed. It's <laughs> ugh, I got kids and taxes and a mortgage <laughs> And a divorce <laughs> and my life is not going the way I thought it could, is yeah. it should be going. So all the horrors of real life world for people 38 and 40 years old, then a masked psychopath killer shows up to pick them off one by one. So they had their, there's the real life fear. So the movie is a dark comedy slasher film. And um, it, it was interesting to balance mental health because we sensitive and aware enough and to know that any humor based around that is going to be impossible for some people to watch or not want to take part of. Mm. But we handled it in a way that any of the humor that had to deal with suicide or mental health was earnest humor. So like one of the jokes to give an example of that is my character goes to kill himself and hang himself and while we were filming it, I was like, oh, I got to look up a YouTube tutorial on how to tie a proper noose knot. Uh-huh. And Nick Hines, the co-writer and co-director, was like, oh, this needs to be part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're going to watch a tutorial on how to kill yourself. Yeah. Like, he's like, that's hilarious. And so, like, the, a lot of the humor dealing with that is just honest, kind of awkward, relatable humor. Um, and the commentary, the commentary that there are YouTube videos showing you how to kill yourself, I think is, it's, it's really good to be in the movie. Just, I mean, just saying, you know, you if you want to, there, there's stuff out there to show you, showing you how to make a bomb. There's stuff showing you how to tie a noose properly. There, anything you want's out there. And luckily, when you go to Google, if you type in how to tie a noose, the suicide prevention hotline number is the first thing appears. Yeah. So that is good. And, like, we have that at the end of the movie, too. I mean, there, there's been a few people that are just like, that doesn't skirt the issue of you're making fun of. Like, oh, we're not making fun of it. But horror fans, horror and comedy, I think, congruently run the same path. Like, uh, yeah. eliciting a fear or a scream is very similar to eliciting a laugh. Right. And if you can play those things off of one another, you can maybe get a more intense scare or a more intense laugh because you're on that roller coaster. Yeah. And, and so we were lucky enough to, um, after some festivals 
get a, a small distribution with SRS Cinema, who release very indie, um, uh, really some fun, like uh, niche horror movies. So that's going to be on a limited run Blu-ray, starting to be sold on their website in March, and then it's going to be on digital streaming. And we're looking to get a couple investors and producers for our next horror comedy slash musical that we're looking to film in July. That's great. That's I, I've been, I've been a horror fan since I was a kid and I had a couple guys in South Bend that we would just sit around and talk about horror movies and they had a podcast about horror movies and I'd bring in ones that they'd never heard of and like the, the old hammer films and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it's, uh, it's always fun and it's, comedians in general are geeky about something other than comedy they they've all got a geek and, and some of it's dungeons and dragons some of it's um you know the marvel universe or star wars or stuff like that when i find a, a real hardcore horror geek i know that i'm talking to one of my people and and there's not as many uh, of the hardcore horror geeks but if you're a hardcore horror geek, you're also probably either a comedian or a comedy geek too. <laughs> well, I mean, and I think we're seeing that we're seeing the representation of humor and horror um, being kind of a peanut butter and jelly right now. You have Jordan Peele, mm -hmm. who is one of the top mentioned people when you're talking about horror right now in the last 15 years. And then, Ari Oster, who did Hereditary and Midsommar. Mm -hmm. um, Midsommar, which I grew up loving, Wicker Man, which yeah. is one of my favorite horror movies, the original one, not the Nick Cage one. Um, and you mentioned Hammer, Christopher Lee in there, and a yeah. lot of Hammer people in there. Yeah, But Midsommar, it's a divisive movie. Some people love it, some people hate it. But like for me... I thought the movie was hilarious because how honest it is with the relationship and the humors and the situations. Yeah. And so like that is what is jazzing me about wanting to, to, to do. So I also do a lot of musical stuff and I did in Chicago with my black box, uh, live theater musicals. Mm -hmm. I think music is also, one of the most emotionally expressive things and can tap into people. So if you can add that to the track of comedy and horror and music, so you get those three emotions and you can blend and play those off each other. Yeah. That's, that's what really, um, really excites me about doing anything film wise. You mentioned phantasm. Like, yeah, if you find like, there are people who are just like, Oh yeah, I like horror. I like Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. Like that's fine. Or Ghostface. Yeah. Phantasm should be more popular than it is, and I think it is inching more and more. But like you mentioning being a fan of that, and I'm like, oh, okay, this guy, this guy's good taste in horror. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, so I I remember seeing that on a VHS tape that I rented in the '80s, and the um, so I thought two was a little bit better than one. It's the Terminator uh, 2. Yeah. It's aliens. Yeah. It's bigger, uh, more action. Yeah. But that last one that came out a few years ago was just nuts. Uh, and, and seeing everybody <laughs> old, it, it was yeah. just, it was, it was kind of hard to watch, but it, it, it was still interesting. 
Um, they are doing, and like kudos to them, like David Hartman, who uh, took over the directing duties from Don Coscarelli for that and was a major writer on it. I interviewed on a, on a movie podcast that we used to do. And me and my co-host, who are big fans, I mean, P-H-A-N-S fans. Yeah. Phantasm <laughs> fans of the series. Like, every time a Phantasm movie would come out, I would... So, like, when 4 came out, which was incredibly low budget, they would take, like, five years. Like, so the first sequel came out ten years after the first one. Yeah. The third sequel came out five years after the second one. The fourth sequel came out five years after the third. Like, yeah, I would be like, oh, the story's so complex. It's so interesting. I think they know where they're going. And the fourth one was supposed to be the last one. I'm like, you brought up more questions in <laughs> <Yeah>. that one. <laughs> and so then I met Don Coscarelli and I was like, so is it this? Is it this? Is it this? He's like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I just made it up from movie to movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. So David Hartman, who was a fan, was like, okay, I was trying to string some of these ideas together to to put a finite end on it. Uh-huh. And the the stuff he did, I mean, they were, were just geeking out now on Fantastic yeah. Ravager in the series. <laughs> and people are like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> um, but they started making that as a webisode, web series, that was going to be called Reggie Tales. Oh, okay. Reggie Tales. Yeah. And so they strung those together to make the movie and then filmed more stuff. That took them, I think, 10 years or 12 years. Yeah, I remember there was a lot. Around. Yeah, there was a lot of time around it. Yeah. So, and that, and so Phantasm deals with dimensions and time, but Angus Grimm was so old and they didn't give him a wig to yeah. make his hair look like, like. There's a lot of interesting things in Ravager, and it is an indie movie in all sense of the term. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that it, it wasn't as good as phantasm fans have felt the series could be. So that is one of the few series like Elm street's my number one, uh-huh. my favorite franchise, uh, love what Wes Craven did with Elm street. Yeah. I think it's the scariest because it's the closest any moviegoer can have to, um, like, yeah, there could be someone in a mask chasing you, but you can watch A Nightmare on Elm Street and that night go to bed and go through exactly what the kids in the movies go through yeah. by having a dream of Freddy. Um, that being said, if any studio was ever like, Ricky Glore, we love what you're doing. We, What's your take on a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie? I'd be like, no, thank you. I, <laughs> I have too much love and respect for the original. But if they came to me and they said, what franchise would you like to reboot or do a new spin on? I think Phantasm could be an, an amazing mini series, like an HBO Max miniseries or a okay. Netflix or a new series of films, because at its core, the story of family and chosen family of Jody, Mike, and Reggie and the loss of parents and just all the themes yeah. and metaphors and symbolism. I think are so rich in there in that series that it could, if you planned out a beginning, middle and end for a new franchise or a mini series, I think it could be amazing because yeah. it already has um, a Ray Bradbury, something this, something wicked this way comes vibe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it, you. It's sci-fi without <laughs> without yeah. understanding exactly where the sci-fi comes from, and and that's it, that's my rant on Phantasm. Yeah, if you have never seen it. I do suggest, like when I've shown Phantasm to people who aren't familiar, I do typically show them two first. Yeah, because I think it is the more uh, the easiest one to swallow. Yeah, 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 for sure. It 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 makes it, it makes more sense, and there's little bit more plot and uh yeah 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 for sure okay uh, enough horror talk uh <laughs> welcome back to horror talk yeah <laughs> i just couldn't resist you know when i find a phantasm fan i i have to bring it up because there's well, and, and on my first two albums so on the um dad bod dry bar special two of my bits from spitting image the horror bits are on there world's greatest dad participant um i have two new horror bits on there and then I'm going to be filming my next uh, filmed special in April for four by three comedy. And uh, you'll see those two bits from the album and another smaller bit that wasn't on the album. Um, because yeah, I do. I, I love horror. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could probably do a whole album just about horror movies. The glossiness of some people's faces yeah. when you're talking about horror, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's never like completely not worked, but I'm definitely more excited than most of the people in the audience. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so before we get into is this anything, the fact that you've been doing this since you were a young guy, you were, were you in your early 20s when you started? Yeah, uh, well, I was 19. 19 yeah okay yeah I, I started in 2005 uh, my local comedy club because i was born and raised in northern kentucky they had a funny bone at newport on the levee and uh they used to have 18 and up shows first show uh friday and first show saturday i think and maybe their thursday show was 18 and up and then my dad and i would go and then one day they made it all 21 and up and i was just like oh man and then I looked, and Kentucky has a weird law where you can be 19 in a day and serve alcohol. <laughs> so I applied to be a server there. Is the loophole, since I couldn't see shows, I could work there and uh -huh. see shows. And while doing that, I saw that they were offering a stand-up class taught by Jeff Jenna, another dry bar comedian. Uh -huh. um, and I signed up for that class. And the first class, there was like 50 students. And the first class was free. And he said, um, if you're in this class because you think I can make you funnier, don't come to the next class where I start charging you money. He's uh, like, but if you're here because I'm going to make you write every week and get on stage and perform two minutes of original material every week and help you hone your voice and what you think you should be talking about on stage, which it will culminate in everybody doing a five-minute set in front of a packed house mm. he's like then yes stay with the class i will give you prompts i will give you my opinion on your material even if i don't think it's funny i'll try to see if it's the most honest version of you and blah blah blah, mm -hmm. blah. next class there were 10 of us ah. and um i took that class and because i worked there as a server i started doing the open mics there started doing bar open mics all around cincinnati and northern kentucky and then um after I graduated the class and I kind of pseudo auditioned for the general manager at the club, um, I got my first weekend, which was for, for finesse Mitchell. 
in uh, 2005 or beginning of 2006. Uh-huh. And then kind of became the house MC and definitely serving there. Anytime anyone from SNL or that I was a big fan of was coming through, I'd see him on the calendar and I'd be like, can I MC for them? Can yeah. I MC for them? <laughs> like having no awareness of like the differences between urban acts and me being super white and nerdy. Yeah. 19 year old kid of just being like, I don't care. It's an audience. Right. Right. <laughs> but then a lot of those comics like finesse Mitchell, my first weekend, like he didn't straight up say like, is this your first weekend? He was just like, have you ever performed in front of a black audience? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, of course. He's like, okay, good. So you know that off the bat as the MC, you have to be in their face and be louder than they are and don't stand up against the wall, like yeah. be on the lip of the stage. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But so like that immediately, like I learned and I was just like, oh, okay little bit he's like because they'll eat you alive oh yeah yeah and then so it, it was just having that like comedy school of um my first weekend that i did 30 minutes and started kind of transitioning into feature act was jim brewer i was supposed to MC, and this is a couple years in uh working at the funny bone and the show is about to start and jim uh, Brewer and the feature act weren't there yet. So the sound guy came down to me and the lights were off standing uh, stage left. And he's just like, Hey, um, you got to just keep on going. <laughs> and he's like, I'll give you a, a flashy light to bring up the feature act. And here's his name. And I was like, all right. I was, and at that time I was like, I maybe had 20 minutes uh-huh. that I felt comfortable. And uh, I was like, all right, I guess I'll do some crowd work and try. I mean, it was an MC. You're not supposed to do crowd work. Right. And so the show's getting ready to start and the, uh, the announcer's getting ready to say, welcome to the stage, your local host and MC, Ricky Glore. And Jim Brewer comes up. I had not, not met him yet. And he's like, Hey man, he's like, are you, are you Ricky or the MC for the weekend, man? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, there's not going to be a feature act, man. You got to go up there and do 35 minutes and then just bring me up. Okay. Have a good show. <laughs> and like walk away. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> And so then the whole weekend was just him and me, me doing 35 and bringing him up and doing an hour. And so like in that first 35 minutes, like I go up on stage and it's that out of body, like my mouth is going for my opening joke, but like I'm in words are coming out and I'm moving and doing it. But in my head, I'm like, okay, I've got to do 35 minutes. I got to slow this down. Do I extend this, make jokes on my feet about this? There's this new thing I hadn't done before. Let's do that in the middle because like just almost like a beautiful mind doing the math equations, which is awful at math, Uh but like doing that. So like the, the having it afforded to me that I could work with so many different kinds of acts and in different ways at that funny bone from 2005 to about 2009 was so valuable um, that that was my, my, my comedy school, my comedy training. Um, Jerry Seinfeld's documentary comedian used to be my Bible. Uh Um, And then when Orny Adams came through, I was like, Oh, that's that asshole from comedian. He's going to be awful. And I went and saw him on a Thursday and it is, still to this day, one of the funniest hours I've ever seen. Wow. 
so smart yeah. energy afterwards. I like, I, he didn't know I worked there cause I just came on my night off <clears throat> and I was just like, Oh my God. I was like, I love the documentary comedian and blah, blah, blah. He's like, Oh, thanks man. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I work here, but I'm off. And I also do stand up. And he's like, Oh, are you working Sunday? And I was like, no, I'm off Sunday. And he's like, you want to come and do 20 minutes? And I was like, okay. Like no comedian offers someone. They have no idea who they are. Yeah. Right. 20 minutes. And he did. And that was such, and he, he was awesome. He was awesome to talk to and work with. And that, yeah, that working there at the funny bone, being a house MC for, uh, four years was just like comedy college. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It's funny. One of the common themes you're probably the 145th comic I've talked to. And one of the common themes is, is almost everybody gets thrown into something that they're not ready for, or they don't think they're ready for. And when they come out of that and they're okay, that seems to be the impetus to keep you going on. Yeah. It's the trial by the trial by fire. hundred percent. I had taken some time off like doing uh, stand up intermittently while I lived in Chicago from 2009 to 2017. But um, because I was doing sketch, uh, improv, and then black box theater, um, stand up kind of went on the back burner. And anybody that loves stand up in Chicago, Zanies, that used to be run by Bert Haas, I've had my Bert Haas experience. <laughs> um, plenty of stories about that. But when I moved back to Northern Kentucky after I got married, I started leaning more into stand-up because the scene kind of changed. There wasn't as much um, affordability for theater in Northern Kentucky. But I realized, oh, it doesn't matter what your home base is. You can do stand-up and take it on the road. And what's interesting about a lot of comedians and musicians, a lot of creatives in the Cincinnati area have a don't ask for opportunities or don't make opportunities for yourself. Wait until you are, you are asked. Yeah. And like, that has never been my mentality on anything. Yeah. I, I like, you gotta be your own champion and you gotta make things happen and ask and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so after being back for about eight months in 2017, I hooked up with some other comics that I had worked with previously and some new ones that I just met. And we started figuring out that breweries, like I said before, are modern day coffee houses. And I put together a tour where there'd be three comedians, an MC, a feature and a headliner where every show on this tour out of state that we would do, we called it the brew crew comedy tour. Uh None of us had names not to be confused with. There's another brewery comedy tour thing. Um, We just came up with that name because none of us had, any notoriety. So no one was going to come out and see us Uh just something catchy. Every show we did, we would rotate where we were in the lineup. So it would work, make us work on our times. Right. Maybe we didn't have 40 minutes, but we were going to work it. And then the next show we would be MC. Then the next show we'd be feature working those different muscles. And I did that for a year and then submitted to dry bar. So then after being back for a year that's how i then pivoted into dry bar just pushing myself to to keep going up the ladder and doing as many shows out of like i don't do a lot of shows in cincinnati Uh in kentucky yeah um 
I do most and I work on most. I don't do a lot of open mics. I work on my stuff on the road Mm -hmm. and it's, I, I could, but it's not like New York city and it's not like LA where there's these awesome open mics every night of the week. There is a very, and I know there's different scenes like this. Cincinnati has a very territorial scene, but unfortunately a lot of comedians in Cincinnati don't leave the, don't leave the city. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things about open mics, I was uh, talking to somebody about this last night because I still do quite a few open mics is the, you don't get people like you showing up to the open mics anymore. You don't get, you, you don't get the veteran comic showing up. So there's nothing really there that makes you want to elevate your game. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, you don't, you don't see anything to aspire to because you're all pretty much on the same level. And yeah. And I've, I've happily, um, what's hard for me is I'm a little bit of an orphan when it comes to having a comedy home because my Newport on the levee club closed while I was in Chicago and the other comedy club was go bananas. And they are more, um, they are a, a more like we know we're against the corporate of the getting paid to do stand up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're the more emo, more like, oh, we're it's art and stand up is just standing there and dryly telling jokes and blah blah blah. And like that's fine, but like I was I will forever be branded with the scarlet letter of having started at Funny Bone. Yeah. You know, a corporate business entity. And I, I mean I get the merits for both kind of clubs. Um you go bananas is more avant garde and that's that is fine. But like, I don't have that home club. I don't have that loyalty here. But whenever anyone does put on a show or it runs a new mic, if they reach out to me and they're like, Hey, if you ever have anything to work on, feel free to come by. I've done that. Mm -hmm. It's just there. I mean, I've heard some people talk about this in St. Louis and stuff and it's everywhere, but like, when I was down in Florida for about four months over the summer, I have never felt more accepted than in the Miami um, oh. open mic scene. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had to be down there for some family things uh, with my in-laws. Uh, my father-in-law passed away. And um, when I started going, I had to cancel some, some scheduled gigs that I had. And then when, after the, the family things were being taken care of, I, I started doing some more mics and rescheduling those shows and um, was only supposed to be there for two weeks, ended up being there for like three months. Uh Um, And so I just reached out to a couple uh, people that ran some mics in Miami and around that area. And they, that scene was so warm and welcoming. Like, and I hate to besmirch the scene where I live around, Mm -hmm. but man, if the scene up here was like it is down there of how they're like on mics. They had these people doing characters. They had a magician on it and they were just like, yeah, man, whatever makes this mic the coolest and gets audiences here on a Wednesday, a Thursday or a Tuesday, like we're down to do. Uh And I was like, this is great. You guys are doing it right here. And their, their audiences were packed. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I, I have always loved mixed, 
open mics with the mm-hmm. with the music the characters poetry you know all yeah. all that kind of stuff and Palette cleansers yeah and i always did it because it gave you more time yeah because it was usually 10 15 minutes they'd give you instead of three to five and oh and that's yeah the yeah the three to five minutes and having 30 comedians Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're not stretching any muscles. You're right. doing it for other comedians. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look, I will be the first to say when someone goes up on stage with an instrument, a guitar, a piano, and look, I play a ukulele uh-huh. in some of my shows. I do have a little bit of a, oh, all right. Yeah. Let's see this. But like, I'm always down for it and I'm always more pleasantly surprised yeah. than I am you know, upset after that. Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. We've got a guy here locally that will, um, bring a guitar up on stage and really short, funny songs, but he incorporates a, he'll put the guitar guitar down and do a little bit of stand up. Then I'll pick the guitar back up. It's a nice mix. And he, he's got a pretty good idea. He's newer, but he's got a pretty good idea of how much music he can get away with and, Mm -hmm. and still keep the interest. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And I, I wish that more open mics in smaller scenes, which is pretty much everything except for New York, LA and Chicago, Mm -hmm. Denver, um, Denver. Yeah. Denver is huge. Yeah. Um, but in the smaller scenes, if they would make them longer sets, mixed mics, and get that crowd in there because a music act, somebody that comes in and plays a couple songs is probably going to bring more friends than a comedy act because you've already asked your friends to come to your comedy show 150 times and it's just going to be the 151st no that you get or yeah, we'll try and never show up. Yeah. And I get it. Like the people who put together these mics, you know, people have their, their different reasonings for, okay, I'll do this for you because I want you to uh, book me on this and that, you know, the, pol- I mean, the politics of anything always get in the way yeah. of, of, of creativity, unfortunately, and business in the same way. And especially a lot of young comedians, they're, you're, you're so focused on working on your art that you don't have time or the acumen for the business angle of it. That's a whole nother level. But I, yeah, I just wish even if someone's comedy, like, I don't know that I would be a fan of me because mm-hmm. I'm not the kind of comedian that I like, that I watch. Uh-huh. Not saying I dislike what I do. Right. But like if someone, like if you were to say, Ricky, you remind me of like, and I'm not looking for adulation, but like if you likened me to another comedian, like, oh, Ricky Glore is like, and then you name someone that people have heard of. Mm-hmm there's a good chance that that wouldn't be that person wouldn't be in my top three favorite comedian. Yeah. Yeah. But so like open micers and people who run these rooms and these smaller independent rooms, you have, you can sit and watch a clip or these festivals and just have a good enough ear that even if it isn't your cup of tea that you go, Ooh, I, I, this person, they've got something and they, and it's not even like affirmative action where they're like, they're filling a void of like, well, we got to have X amount of blah, blah. There's a little bit of that that should exist. So you're not having the same 22 year old white yeah. college kid talking about ma- masturbating and yeah. 
blah, 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 and living in your parents' basement. But like recognizing that even if it's something that you don't love, you should have that be part of the night because it will be different and it will be interesting. Yeah. And it is just as valid. Yeah. And, and a lot of bookers get tunnel vision in that sense where they only want alt comics or they only, they, they only, they only want this cross section of comedy and that limits their audience because some people don't, don't want to hear the alt comic. They, they, they want, they want to see somebody like you that talks about real life and, and, um, has, and I get it. Like I didn't talk about real life until I got married and moved back yeah. to Kentucky. Uh-huh. I used to do one liners and like, I was a college kid and I didn't, a lot of my stuff that I talk about, like being from Kentucky and stuff, I obviously experienced it. I didn't have the foresight and the, the removal of time from it the distance to recognize the humor in it. Uh-huh. Like I knew it was like, I thought it was funny, but I never, for some reason, I never thought anyone else would think it was funny on stage. Right. That wasn't from where I grew up. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a maturity that has to come. I, I think it just has to come to you almost with, almost with age before you can actually look back at yourself and, use that critical eye to figure out, you know, is this, is this really who I am or is this, is this really what's working? And the maturity of, yeah. And that's discovering your voice and like the maturity of communicating. So like there's stuff on this album about my mother-in-law that when I put it together, I went to her and I was like, would you be okay that I talk about this? She's like, Oh my God, be honored. Yeah. It's called Brenda (laughs) on the album. And so like there is, there's some things that like will happen in my personal life that I haven't talked about on stage yet. Cause I haven't figured out the, the therapeutic humoristic way of presenting it. Or there's a couple of things where I've said to my wife, like, just so you know, um, I'm probably not going to talk about this because it's maybe too personal. And she's like, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh-huh. But then there's other things where I'll talk about my wife and I'm like, are you okay with me talking about you having a C-section? Mm-hmm. on stage and blah 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 and she's like yeah and it's just communicating and being honest and through that like I'm not I, I try not to be that annoying comedian of examining everything and being like is that a bit is that a bit can that be a mm-hmm. bit can that be a bit it's more like it happens a couple days later like um, this is a perfect example this past weekend um, I improvised this bit that my wife and I had joked about for years what uh-huh. women think versus what men think. When a woman asks a man, what are you thinking? And he says nothing. And the woman's like, really? And they don't trust you. And like for men, it's like, no, <laughs> we are sitting there slack jawed. Yeah. Nara thought in our heads, we're running the theme to Bonanza. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, and then you'll add lyrics to it. Gonna eat, gonna sleep, gonna shit, gonna shave, gonna do yeah. it. Gonna, eat, gonna, sleep, gonna, shit, gonna shave, gonna do it all again. Yeah. Eat and sleep, shit and shave. Da, 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 da. It's like, then you ask a woman and women have more things they have to think of. Societally, we've made women make lists yeah. um, and be the caretakers of things. 
And so you ask your wife, like, well, what are you thinking about? And they'd be like, ah, nothing. But inside their heads, they're going, okay, I got to wake up tomorrow at 6 a.m. Got to get the kids up. Got to get them dressed. Got to get their lunches together. Got to get them to school. And once I get to work, I'm going to go up to Kathy and I'm going to tell her I'm sorry because I told her yesterday that I didn't think her scarf was good and blah, blah, blah. Like, (laughs) and so I improvised that on in the first, I did three shows in a row on Saturday in Jacksonville, Florida. And in the first show, I improvised that and the the booker came up to me afterwards and he's like, oh my God, he's like, that bit with the bonanza theme was hilarious. I was like, I improvised it. I was like, that's something I'd said to my wife before, but I've never done it on stage. He's like, that seemed like a fully form written out bit. Wow. That's and great. so I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to work on it for the second show. And so I fine tuned it second show. And by the third show, I had it almost pitch perfect Uh to the point that the women in the audience, I had to wait for an applause break during the, the rant of what a woman's thinking. Uh And so that was one of those of like, it's something my wife and I had done jokingly. Yeah. My wife thought it was funny, but I, I probably did that for the first time five years ago and had never thought about incorporating it incorporating it into standup. Uh-huh. That's great. And that's great when it like hits so early when, it, yeah. when you know, when you know it's good right out of the gate, that's, that's a fantastic feeling and it doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. <laughs> it takes yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> that's the comedian's dream. That's yeah. the lottery is yeah. you're like, okay, in the middle of my set, maybe I'll do crowd work. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to open up a door to a new hour set or yeah. some ideas. It, it, yeah, rarely does that. And I've tried that. Like on the album, I have a, a Q&A portion mm-hmm. that I've started doing because that that is the closest to like improv. Good improvisers have done it so many times that they'll make you think you're seeing something spontaneous, mm-hmm. but it's ideas and stuff they've worked with before. So they got a good idea. That's a little bit of the magic act or like um, uh, if you've ever have seen um, – Oh my gosh, why am I blanking on his name? Canadian comedian. Um, oh, oh, there's um and also mm, I'm I'm blank um Harlan Williams also. Yeah. Not the comedian I was thinking of. Harlan Williams does crowd work and he makes everyone think that the, the shows are brand new every time. Yeah. He's done it so many times. Yeah. He's able to weave in the yeah. pre- conceived are you talking about uh ian bag ian bag yeah 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 my wife saw ian when i was opening for him years ago in florida and she's like oh my gosh every show is different it was on a thursday and i was like are you coming back sunday and she's like yeah i was like you'll see how the sausage is made yeah but it's brilliant (laughs) yeah oh it is yeah but it's yeah it's so the q a is the closest to improv because people ask questions a lot of the same questions, Mm -hmm. but it's a way that they think you're talking about it for the first time. So they're less judgy Uh and more accepting and willing to laugh um, at even just of a smidge of an idea that may be just what you need to give it the confidence and and to build on it. So on the album, um, a bit that came up and I haven't even written this down or worked it in is flying there. The TSA agent patted me down and said that on the 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 X-ray screen, it looked they had to check under my flap, oh. my flap, my skin flap, yeah, to make sure I wasn't hiding something. 
And so this woman asked a question, like, do you have any more stories about losing weight? And I just told, not even in a jokes way, hadn't thought of jokes. I just verbatim told the experience I just had from flying from Cincinnati from uh-huh. CVG to Salt Lake City. And it got a great response that I actually now have to go back and listen to the album and write it down and be like, okay, that I naturalistically presented it this way. Yeah. Can I replicate it that way? And will it still work? Right, right. That's, that's great. And, and that's a perfect transition into the newer thing I have going. Is this anything? And, uh, so basically, uh, we both bring a joke or a premise to the, uh, table and we decide if, um, it, it's good if it can go forward and, um, give each other, give each other tags if, um, or or bring the ball in, just bring (laughs) the ball is back. Reel it back in. No more caveman serial killer. Yeah. But yeah, see if, uh, see if we got something. And since you are the guest, you get to choose if, uh, you go first or if I go first. Uh, I want you to go first. Cause I know the two things I'm going to present are part of, uh, a, a chunk of a bit that's on the album that I'm looking to expand on. Okay. Um, that they're, they're under the same chunk. Um, I just want to see if there's more to them and actually maybe three jokes. Um, so yeah, you go first. Okay. And I'm excited. I'm excited to hear yours and like comedians will then be like, maybe you could say it like this. And it's like, you would say it like that, but that ain't my voice. That's actually one of the cool things that's come from this is I get more feedback than I've been doing this for three years now. And I get more feedback from this than I've gotten from anything. And I, I get people, saying okay that was good here's tags and i don't even know them and it's real it's really cool when that comes through and then sometimes my guest gets tags and i send them over to you so it's that's and that's what i love about talking with other comedians they you mean you you know when you sometimes have those comedians that are just like well i'm not giving him anything and blah 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 but like i love because i i'm i'm a writer i love thinking in that comedian's voice of being like oh i could never say this on stage because this doesn't fit my vibe yeah. or what i do and i was like but i want to write i want to give this to you yeah because i would love to see it have a life than rather live in a box that yeah. will never right yeah yeah and and the, it's it's kind of like a little writer's workshop and it mm-hmm. it, 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 it it's uh it's been working pretty well so i'm going to preface this one by saying I need a new opener. And the reason why is because I had the most solid opener that I could ever have and my appearance changed so I couldn't do it anymore. So I used to have hair and I wore contacts and I had a, um, I went to a gas station uh, to buy a soda and the cashier said, hey, you look like an older Harrison Ford. And so the joke went from there and basically what, what's the last Harrison Ford movie you've seen? Because he's 21 years older than I am. Yes. And, and, and it, it, it really went well, but I don't look like that anymore. So the joke doesn't work. And Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could. Yeah. That, that might work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying, I'm trying something because I look even scarier now 
to people than I did then because I'm bald and I got the permanent skull and stuff. So this is something I'm, I've put down that may be an opener. I don't know. Um, here we go. So, uh, I've been told by no less than 30 people over the years that they know somebody who looks exactly like me. My doppelganger is in cities I've never been. I really need to meet them though, because if they actually look like me with the height, the head, the perpetual scowl, I want to know how they're coping because I startle people on the regular. Every time I'm beside behind someone in a bar and they turn around and see me, it's this, I can <laughs> see the fear of death in their eyes. And I need to know if my doppelgangers have developed a workaround for that. And that's all I got. I think the, I would Seinfeld it. Um, so for the first, I would do the word economy uh-huh. uh, of get out as write it down and take a red pen and take out as many words that you can mm-hmm. while it still holds it. Um, and I think you have a couple uh, opportunities for left turns and Mr. X. Mm-hmm. So I would go and again, I will preface this because I don't want to ever come off egotistical of like, this is what you should do. Yeah. This is, this is what I hear to my ears is I would be like, um, you have no idea how many times I hear, I know someone that looks exactly like you. And so almost cut out like the, the specificity of the thirties of times uh-huh. and people all over and be like what you said about, you being scary and off-putting that almost to me is if there's so many people that are, are, are bald like me, um, why are we like basically a culture that's scared? Uh, I have two, I have two ideas in my head that I'm trying to work through. So many people look like you. So why is it scary? Ah, like yeah. if so many people look like you, why is it scary when I'm in the majority? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, so it must be something that I'm personally doing that my uh-huh. doppelgangers. So turn it where it's not, what are they doing that uh-huh. are comforting others? What are you doing? That to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Not figuring out what makes, what are they doing that makes people comfortable with having this Mr. Clean demeanor uh-huh. like mr clean's a welcoming guy yeah. and he's even a little risque he's got an earring so yeah. like, <laughs> um but like so like small little things like that being like so if there's so many people that look like me but people are so threatened by me what is it that i'm doing i mean maybe i should stop approaching people with a butcher knife held above my head like <laughs> I, I don't know something like that or like i guess i should stop approaching people by saying give me all your money yeah or yeah, something. Like, yeah, something like, a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, that. That's yeah. Do that left turn misdirect. Yeah, of like, I got to really figure out what I'm doing. That if so many people look like me, um, you know, I can never say I'm a one in a million guy uh-huh. because there's blood. I mean, there's an old A. Whitney Brown joke, um, that the population of China is blah 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 so if you're you can look it up on google uh-huh. it's a good one in a million thing um yeah that's the angle i would go with is more self-deprecating less um 
yeah, you looking so similar to so many people. It's almost as if you are wearing a bald man's costume. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did that help? Is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've really been struggling with it because it's. I know when. I know what the feeling is, is when I walk on stage, it's like, Mm -hmm. this guy does not look like a comedian. He looks, you know, he looks like a bouncer. And, and. Well, and if you're going to go the angle of the, I know what you're all thinking, this guy looks blah, 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 which Mm -hmm. is, and I'm going to say hacky, not in the derogatory hacky. Right. Yeah. That is, that is an easy starter. That is the, Hey everyone, like I'm relating to you because I know what you're thinking. This guy is, um, Jeff Bezos, Lex Luthor, blah, Ah. blah, blah, you know, doing all those things, Mr. Clean. But maybe then the bit is you naming so many people, like the three I just named, Lex Luthor and Jeff Bezos could be considered villains. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Clean could be considered villainous because of the earring. He's a little dangerous. Uh, Maybe everyone that you say that you could look like is threatening like is is villainous um it tech person or i don't know like i'm not up here to do comedy i'm actually here to give you all a powerpoint presentation on financial blah blah like yeah 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 and i i tried one that said you know everybody thinks i either look like a um a cop a pharmacist or a serial killer and i don't know I don't know. I don't know how I could be all three of those things, and and that I, I never really got to take that anywhere either. It just, that's, I mean, that's funny that it's almost like it's almost like a bullet point of this all being one thing that you just bounce around from that you really don't spend a lot of time. That it's almost like you rapid fire hit all these ideas if you could figure out a, a smooth way to do it, uh-huh. but if you did it quick. Because that, I think that's hilarious. I look like a cop, pharmacist, or serial killer. Just the breakdown of that. Uh-huh. A cop, trust, I mean, mostly trusted. Uh-huh. I mean, there's you know, some areas, like, <laughs> no thanks. Um, pharmacist, like, yeah, pharmacist is non threatening. I trust them. Mm-hmm. Or serial killer. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you trust serial killers, right? That's why serial killers are so good at what they do. Yeah, is they get trusted. Yeah. Um, well, and I yeah, could also I, take it. I I could also take it uh, in a direction where I'm like, yeah, the I that's just preposterous. I'm I'm not smart enough to be a pharmacist, and then just let them <laughs> look. And, and I'm not That's lawful funny. enough to be a cop and then just leave serial killer out and let them yeah. fill in the blank. Yes. That is, I like that. I think I would, I think that is how I would go first. And then if you did the, because you have no idea how many times people come up to me and say, you, you look exactly like this person. I know. Yeah. So th- I think that is your then second. Yeah. Your opening hit is, um, I know what you're thinking. I look like I'm either a cop that pulled you over for a speeding ticket, uh, your pharmacist or a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But I have to be honest, like 
I'm not smart enough to be a pharmacist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I'm not and, athletic enough to be a cop. Yeah. And it's, it's a much quicker, it's, it's a much quicker laugh that way. Yes. You're yeah. getting meat and potatoes yeah. and then you, then you let it hang for a little bit, but not like, ah, so it's serial killer, right? Yeah. Um, but then you go into the first thing people always want to tell me is how much they think I look like someone else. Like, I think there's jokes in there about individualism mm -hmm. of, of just like that. You're not special. Um, and then maybe there's a callback to serial killer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, and you're like, and that's why I have to let everybody know. Like, I don't know. Not, this, this isn't the joke, but maybe something that's like on par like John Wayne Gacy dressing up as a clown and going to kids' birthday party. Like, and that's why I got to let him know uh, the blah, blah, blah killer always leaves because <laughs> I am, I am important and special. Yeah. And unique. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, the, it's and, that's... Dark and it's weird. And maybe that won't fit like the rest of what you have going on. Uh -huh. But I don't know. Maybe if you got them at the top with something like that, then the, you're open for maybe other weirder things. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I'm a little bit more on the weird side and, and a little bit more angry and stuff like that anyway. So that, yeah, I, I can see that working. Th this is, this is great because I've got something that I can do my first two jokes with now and, mm -hmm. and they'll, and they'll both be done in less than two minutes. And then I can, then I've got them going and I can get into the rest of my stuff. And yeah. And that's, it, it feels like you have um, possibilities for good laughter in that, in that first bit of cop pharmacist, serial killer that you hit a lot of, you get self-deprecating, you get re relatability, you get um, cop, and serial killer, which are two semi hot button topics right now. Uh -huh. um, yeah. It just seems like, yeah, you have a lot of opportunities to really rope them in right off the bat. And then them for, for the audience to get a good sense of what your tone is going to be for the rest of the show. Uh -huh. I mean, it's almost yeah. like that's your first joke as a cliff notes of what you're going to get a summarization for the rest of your set, yeah. whatever it's 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that, that, that was a good one. And I'm glad I talked about some of the other things I've tried because I, I think I can make them work together now. And, uh, that this whole opening thing has been bugging me for over a year now. Cause I, I, I just haven't, I, I haven't been able to find that one that does as well as the old Harrison Ford one. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I used to do some dad jokes and some real um, silly quick non sequiturs mm -hmm. just to loosen up the audience. And that's how I opened my drive. Um, I'm not sure which edit of the dry bar you watched. That's my only complaint about dry bar is the one that's up and in full on YouTube doesn't open with the opening of the show. Yeah, I did the YouTube one, so I didn't see okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the opening of the show that's part of the real special. If you like watch it on drybar.com, their app, or you rent it through comedy dynamics, it opens with, um, a couple 
quick dumb dad jokes uh-huh. of just like by a round of applause, how many people have clapped their hands before? Yeah, and I've I, I saw that clip um, on yeah. you did it on something else. Yeah, and I thought that was really I thought that was really funny, and it was a great way to start. There were just like three of those jokes, and then it's be like, okay, I know those are dad jokes, but it's okay. I just had uh, I just had a, a baby. I'm a new dad. Uh-huh. Blah blah blah. And so that was my opener, but then for this new album set, I open with the ukulele, which then dovetails into crowd work, which I know can yeah. be problematic to do crowd work off the bat. Cause then you're open the audience to talk and stuff. Yeah. But with like the tone of me coming out with the ukulele, the questions that I'm asking and the way that that goes, I feel usually gives the audience a good sense of like, okay, we know what kind of guy this is. We feel pretty comfortable with his type of humor that he's not judging us. And that at the beginning, when you go to the crowd, they're like, Oh no, this, that's why I didn't want to sit up front. Yeah. And then once that's done, I don't, I don't pick on, it's not even picking on the crowd, but like, yeah, they they get to relax for the rest of the show because it's already done. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like that that part where you said, yeah, I really don't have anything prepared. Uh, and you're, and you're doing an album. <laughs> well, and that's, that was my way of like that magic trick of like so many people think my biggest judgment on myself, whether it be acting or stand up performing is I don't feel watching myself that I come off naturalistic. Uh-huh. I always feel like I can see the machinations of performance happening. I Uh always look, I'm like, Oh, I'm performing. That's a performance. I can hear it in my voice and blah, blah, blah. Um, so the trick of that, of doing crowd work. And then once I felt like the mind of the crowd work is, is, is welled up is dry. Mm -hmm. I will then try to connect wherever we're at with the pre-written bit and just slide into it. Yeah. And then hopefully I'm on, I'm 20 minutes now into the show and they didn't realize the show really, the real show started. Yeah. 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 I can, I can dig that. Cause I have, I have the same observations about myself. I still feel like I'm, I still feel like I'm following an outline and, mm-hmm. and, um, and trying to move past that, but it takes a lot of practice to do that. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's hard because I think we are always chasing our voice and I still don't know what my voice is. I have just become comforted in knowing that the humor I am doing and the things I am doing are the things that I want to do. Right. Right. I'm not going like, well, I can't do that or I'm not going to do that because that isn't what I can sell better or whatever. I'm like, I like doing what I'm doing. I like doing what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. and I'm going to, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. And if the audience doesn't laugh, like that's first and foremost, like, all right, that thing's got to go. Cause as much as I love doing it, caveman serial killer, like it's yeah. got, like, <laughs> it's got to be stuff that I like doing that also entertains. The right. Audience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a delicate balance. All right. So, so my, what, what, what you best. got for me? <laughs> okay. This is all in the chunk of, and things that have grown that's on the album um, a little bit and then can continue on for new stuff, like a new hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it'll probably be in the new hour film special or variation of it is the, I know I'm getting older. Um, three bits are one. I know I'm getting older 
by the way that I buy groceries. Um, I get really excited when I'm buying meat and I find, I see one that's uh, a steak or ground beef for $8.87, but then I see behind it or next to it one that's $7.50. Little joke, like doesn't ever get a real big laugh, but like something of like, that to me is the lottery. Like that's yeah. the mini win in my day of just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this was cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. Yeah. Save 30 cents. <laughs> but like, those are the little things you, you grow to love when you're of a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm working on, I'll do these first two. Um, I'll mention these first two before doing the third one and see if there's anything more to add to them. The other one is, my friend and I that I graduated school with uh, high school with in 2004, we're at a bar on a Wednesday night and I was looking around and I was like, I said to him, I was like, I think we're the oldest people here. And he looked at me and very nonchalantly said, yeah, I know we're the oldest people here. And the first thing I thought of was like, Oh, he must have like an algorithm or like, there must be something that he knows that I don't some fact for him to so quickly absolutely say that he knows that we're the oldest ones here. Uh-huh. And I was like, how, how do you know we're the oldest ones here? He's like, you know how I know we're the oldest ones here? Cause you just said, I think we're the oldest ones here. <laughs> He's like only people that are old ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. No young person is asking. I wonder if we're the oldest ones here. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, the only other thing that you could add to that, I think, is whatever music's playing, you absolutely don't know what it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think... Is that, an, is that an alarm? Is that a fire alarm? Or is that a hot new track? Yeah. <laughs> Should we be concerned? Yeah. It, it's loud. Yeah. Are they trying to say we need to evacuate? <laughs> you know, I... I, I I love jazz, but the beat on this sounds like my rotors going out or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When you start liking it to things around your house breaking down and thinking you need to call a professional to fix. Yeah. And that's what you're thinking of. And it's music. Uh You know, you're old. I mean, that's a, you might be a redneck. You might be old. Yeah. (laughs) The music you're hearing sounds like you're heating an AC unit conking out yeah yeah and you're and you get upset and sad because you know the money you get back for tax season's just gonna go back into fixing and now that song has ended and yeah you're yeah. still thinking about fixing things around your house yeah you know another way you could go with that is you know this sounds exactly like when my hvac went out um and I'm almost positive somebody oh. was in my house sampling that. <laughs> uh, yes. And is this something from based off of what you just said? The acronyms that you know yeah. are clear giveaways of your age. Yeah. HVAC is an acronym you know when you're over 35. Uh-huh. STD is an acronym you know when you're in your 20s. Uh-huh. 
I've actually got a bit about acronyms and slang. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. Wordplay as a quick little, little joke inside of a bigger joke. Yeah. That's what I said earlier about the extra small versus extra large. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's hard with those because sometimes you just introduce the idea and if you don't present it as a joke, people still think it's interesting as long as you're not hoping that there's going to be a laugh there. Yeah. Right. But I think, HVC each H H H V A C versus H P V. Yeah. Is <laughs> I think that could be a good laugh. Moment. Yeah. Um, because you get the people that like relate to it and then you get the people almost like Seinfeld said of don't end a joke on a curse word. Cause then it's the curse word getting laugh. Yeah. H P V, which sometimes I'm like, I don't care if it gets a laugh. I'm moving on to the next one and uh, help me get that. Yeah. That beat, uh, that beat, of jokes or that rhythm. Uh-huh. If I get a laugh on HVAC and then a laugh on HPV, fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for that first part about meat prices, there's a, a, another joke and maybe it's part of this. And a friend kind of gave me this joke was, um, I was at the grocery store. I'm so old now that I saw a buy one, get one free and floss. So I bought a lifetime supply of floss. Uh-huh. And I was just like, yeah. So is that the same as the meat thing? It's like No. Yeah, that's an observation, but it's not necessarily like Yeah. You know, gut something the only thing that I'm thinking about the meat thing is it needs to come back and bite you in the ass. Like there there's a reason why it was 30 cents cheaper. Like it's, it's all, because it's less, it's, it's There's all not as much. Yeah, well, well, it's all bone. It's all gristle. Oh, yeah. You know, all that elation has to turn into disappointment. And yes. And, and I, then I think it'll really hit, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. I got the meat home and my wife said she wanted, she wanted strip steaks, not T-bones or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it, it Something deprecating about you because like I used to, uh, I had been saying like, it's the differences of, you know, your old base on what's in your shopping cart yeah. of like, you know, you'd go there and you just buy for yourself. Mm-hmm. You'd get a 12 pack and you get a bag of chips and a pizza because uh-huh. you're only buying for that night. Right. And when you're older, you're out buying three pounds, six pounds of ground beef and going, Oh man, this one's eight dollars and thirty-seven cents. Oh, holy grail! This one's seven dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and so I think maybe there's more to just getting people into the grocery store, like getting them in that headspace mm. of like because people, it's such an arduous thing of grocery shopping, and that if you can find those little delights of like when you're grocery shopping, if there could be a couple more of those and that could be the under the umbrella of like, yeah, you know, you're old. Yeah. Because you're finding delights in the grocery store. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of meat on the bone there. I used to do one uh, about finding a coupon. You know, it's a great day. I found somebody Mm -hmm. left a coupon for um, antiperspirant and, on top of that, it was, I think it was buy one, get one half off. And, um, 
but the problem is, is I got it. I got it home and it gave me a rash. And, and, and you know, I always, mm-hmm. I, I always take my good thing that happens and I bookend it with something, something disappointing. Charlie Just, Brown. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you got another, well, there's another for the bald thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of like, not only do I look like Charlie Brown, but the cumulus cloud that's been following me for my whole life. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> um, yes. I like, I mean, I think that's a bit onto itself. The karma or the serendipity of like for every good thing that happens in your life, it's followed up by a sour. Yeah. Yeah. The sweet ain't as sweet without the bitter. Yeah. Yep. For sure. So the, the third one, this is more of a joke that I've never done on stage because I want to find a cleaner way to tell it. But I'm wondering if the only reason why it's funny is because of the dirty um, is it goes into the, I'm getting older. I'm getting older. Cause I'm actually going, I've started having to go to funerals of people that I know people, unfortunately that have died at the same age. And like, and nothing is more awkward and more reflective than going to a funeral of someone your age and realizing that you're wearing the exact same thing as the person in the coffin. Uh-huh. <laughs> How was I supposed to know that he was going to be buried in a, I fuck on the first date t-shirt. <laughs> okay. But, well, so it's really good the way it is. Um, I mean, that's a huge misdirect. Um, but I mean, what other t-shirt could you put in that's clean? Uh, that hits as hard. Yeah. As it's not, I, I, I can't think of anything that's going to hit that hard. Um, that turn. yeah. I mean, um, Hannah, Man- Hannah Montana t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. But how, how is I supposed to know? That we'd both be wearing our Dora the Explorer t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah depending. I mean, it's, again, it, it's not going to hit as hard as. No. Like, because one, no one should be wearing an I fuck on the first date yeah, t-shirt. Right, yeah. And wearing it. Or the nerdiness of, of the comedy of it all is no one should be wearing that. No one should be buried in it. No one should be wearing it to a funeral. Right, Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, Dora the Explorer fits there in the same way, but different. Yeah, um, because it you're too, to be, you're, you're both too old to be wearing them. Yeah, um, and it would probably have to be something that's more prevalent now than even Dora the Explorer, like Coco Melon, Baby Shark. Yeah, or I don't know. But again, yeah, I just I've racked my brain of being like. Oh, how did I know that we both were going to be wearing a, I went to blah, blah, blah. And all I got this t-shirt, all I got was this t-shirt blah, uh-huh. or like a, a tourist thing mm-hmm. or a big John. Like, even if you say big Johnson, what you're doing is you're just telling a sanitized version. Yeah. I'm trying to find that network television, late night yeah. talk show, clean version of that joke. Right. Because that goes with my a bit that has been working that is new ish that is on the album um, is the, I know I'm getting old cause I started saving plastic grocery bags yeah. from the grocery store as trash bags. Uh-huh. And when 
people are coming over. We're trying to impress. We switch out the Walmart bags with Target bags. Yeah. And then if we're really trying to impress someone, we take out the one Whole Foods bag that we got 10 years ago. <laughs> but, That's so like, a good bet. That, yeah. The, yeah. The funeral thing works in mm-hmm. there with all that other stuff, but it's not. Yeah, I don't. Is there a clean look? If anybody is listening, yeah. um, or watching this later, or Facebook or whatever, or Twitter, and you have one, like, co- like comment, and I would love to find one that is just as ridiculous and hits all the reasons why it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because I th- those go together so well, and but that punch. I fuck on the first day is just perfect. It's gonna it's gonna be hard to find one. I'm gonna be thinking about it all day now um, because there's got to be something like a band this T-shirt. Is, this is not my first time bringing it up. Like it's almost like this is a Sudoku or a riddle or a math puzzle yeah. that I've brought up at least on five different road trips with other comedians. Yeah, where I'll just be like, check this. Can you come like, and it's not even saying like that is an amazing joke. It's just like the Olympics of, can you make, are some jokes unable to be made clean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you almost, you almost want to have like five t-shirts in the chamber based on how the audience is reacting to your other jokes. Yeah, and the permutations of the night because then I've had people. So I said you get a lot more work if when people say, "Can you work clean?" and then you find out what their yeah. level of clean that they want is. Uh-huh. I have had the reverse of that, where some people don't want to necessarily book me because they think it's going to be quote unquote clean comedy, yeah. which may be less less than funny comedy. And I assure them, I'm like. I can be dirty. I just don't filter myself, especially in the improvisations or the crowd work. Um, I'm not going to be like filthy and vile and disgusting. But like, as I have on this podcast, this, this episode has some R moments. Uh I fuck on the first day. Like, yeah, that would be considered an R that some places would be like no efforts. Right. Yeah. But like, so I, I assure them, I'm like, there are shows that I've done where they're just like, Oh yeah, we want you to, we want you to be a little dirtier. Yeah. And it's like, great. Yeah. And so if I had that joke in three different variances, yeah. the late, the, the clean version, the late night clean, and then the R version, which is what it is, yeah. that would be a great one to have. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see if you can make it work just as strong in each permutation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the same the same response on all hello kitty t-shirt um yeah well i mean yeah the a like yeah yeah hello kitty something that is um a a close to 40 year old man should not be wearing this yeah yeah i mean that's funny yeah figuring out something that is that is that what is current that is associated Oh, well, maybe it's, what are those half shirts, crop tops? 
Yeah, crop tops. Or but how did I know we both were going to be wearing crop tops? Yeah. Maybe. I don't think it hits as, as, as well, but yeah, I might try that. You, try, you could try that. You know, yeah. you, you you could have a throwaway line at the end of that and say, and our blazers match too. <laughs> yeah. How so you're wearing, you're, you're wearing you're wearing the t-shirt, you're wearing a crop top with a blazer, That's and it funny. makes it That's even more ridiculous. Video. Yeah. How did I know we'd both be wearing crop tops <laughs> and that pinstripe blazer from Men's Warehouse? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I like that. I like the the little hat on a hat. Yeah, yeah, I like that. J- like, look, they didn't ba- look. They weren't completely ridiculous and buried him in just a crop top. Yeah, they put a blazer on. Yeah, yeah, they dressed it, it up a little bit. His favorite crop top. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever worked with Jeff Bodart? No, but I am familiar of Jeff Bodart. He's, I he, have definitely he, seen his poster and yeah, he is the king around. of those throwaway lines that almost overshadow the punch. And it's, it's kind of like when Gaffigan goes into his voice, uh, but, but he does it. It's just a throw. It's just a throwaway line at the end of end of a joke. And it, it seems like it's totally off the cuff, but sometimes it actually overshadows a punch a little bit. And so that, yeah, that laugh that he started just rolls for longer and longer because of that. And uh, he's got an album on Spotify. You you should listen to that to understand those throwaway lines because he is the master of it. Yeah, I, I, I will. And that is different comedians who I've witnessed who who can do that, who, like you said, just keep the the rhythm and the laughter roller coaster still rolling, and then they've moved on to their next thing, and the laugh hasn't stopped. Yeah. Like the wave is still going in yeah. some way. That's It's masterful. Yeah, yeah, he's great at that. Um, so where can uh, folks find you on the social medias, website, and all that kind of stuff? I'm everywhere. You want to Google my name? Um, you can find me, which is such a weird thing to say. Like before online and social media, if you went up to a stranger and was like, hey, follow me. Yeah. And not only follow me, like what I'm doing. Yeah. Like it's so weird. And that is the hardest part about this business of like self-representation and branding and marketing, blah, 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 blah like all that. But like, Instagram at, at Glor Ricky, you'll hear all about upcoming film projects, shows where I'm going. Um, RickyGlor.com. It hasn't been updated, but it should get you to all of the social medias of like TikTok, Twitter. I use Twitter primarily as a writing tool uh-huh. for word economy. Yeah. Um, that's what I felt it's best for. And then Facebook, uh, dot com slash Ricky Glore comedy. I mean, it's kind of just all the same stuff shared on all the same yeah. platforms. Yeah. There's no uniqueness yeah. really to any of it, but um, yeah, be on the lookout for all your friends are dead coming out. Um, what we're going to be doing with some more movies. If you want to search my name on iTunes for um, or Spotify for uh, the two albums that are out, dad bod special it's out the special recording in april which my guess will come out probably in the fall or summer Mm. Um, i'm not sure what that's going to be titled yet um but check all that stuff out and if you want to hear me talk about more nerdy horror movie things when i was doing promotion for all your friends are dead you can itunes search me or spotify and you'll see all the guest appearances that i did on horror podcasts where 
one one show's called Top Five, where he let me pick the subject, and it was Top Five Masks in a horror movie. Okay. And we immediately got rid of Michael Myers, Leatherface, Ghostface, and Jason, because we were like, those, of course, clearly, they're Mount Rushmore. Uh-huh. Let's talk about other ones that people may not be as familiar with. Uh-huh. So I think we each did five and then like a couple honorable mentions, which is a great way to, like you were saying about introducing phantasm or hammer movies. Yeah. Great way to introduce people to some horror movies that they might not be familiar with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to check those out being, being the horror geek that I am. So yeah, that definitely the five, five top masks. That, that, that was, a, that was one of my favorite ones. Cause it was specific. Another one is, um, that it, I'm getting ready to record another episode for them is, um, oh, I don't want to miss say it, say like, I'm going to be like, yeah, they're really good. And I like them. And I can't remember their name. They are tip. They're terrified and tipsy podcast. Oh, okay. So T H E Y apostrophe R E terrified and tipsy podcast. Uh-huh. They do watch alongs. So okay. they did a watch along to, um, a short horror movie I made called racist R A C Y S T. Okay. And it was like a David Cronenberg body horror. Oh, um, <laughs> or short film I made. They did a watch along to that. And I love their response that when I was promoting all your friends are dead, I came on for a full episode and we just nerded out about horror. And it's these two women that are hilarious uh-huh. and just have just a, a different outlook on horror and they watch everything. That's but cool. They are like, stereotypical like midwestern kind of mom vibes yeah uh-huh. <laughs> and so like their approach and their comments on it are really funny yeah that's great i'll check that one out too excellent well thanks so much for being on the show this is one of my favorite uh writing exercises because i've got hey. i've got some meat to take away to my next open mic <laughs> if you ever want to do a condensed version of just like a an offshoot episode that is just like the writer's room or whatever. That's uh, just that uh-huh. I'd be more than happy to come on. And I bet you other comedians would, I mean, just hearing again, your approach to the different things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's such a valuable tool Yeah, because sometimes in your community, comedians can get a little stingy and are just like, well, I'm not going to give you gold. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What are you going to do? You're going to put that in the bank and collect some interest on it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's very true. And I, I I always come out of these with, with more ideas, even beyond what I've talked about. And, and Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's gold right there because sometimes it's hard to think of those premises and uh, it's, it's good stuff. To be in the right, to be in the right headspace. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and, uh, everybody check out rickyglore.com and also that movie. I can't wait till the, till the movie comes out. All your friends are dead. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah.